Good morning, Westridge. You have my instant admiration today. You lost an hour of sleep. It's dark, it's gloomy, it's foggy, it's rainy. Why are you here? Just for me, yeah, right, 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 just for me, right. And you're lying. So long before uh, everyone had a camera in their phone, uh, long before digital cameras, Polaroids, Kodaks, we still had photo albums. We took the shot with our eyes and we stored it in our memory banks. We still do. Trouble is, those snapshots can fade over time. And we can no longer vividly remember what the moment looked like. And so it's nice to have photographic technology to remind us. To remind us what our, our grown children looked like when they were young. What our deceased or aging parents looked like in their prime. What we looked like 30 pounds ago. <laughs> and who can forget... That scene, the last time the Cubs won the World Series. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, none of us were alive the last time the Cubs won a World Series. Sometimes our photo album needs updating. Some of you know I teach a class in New York City to a consortium of schools, uh, undergrads, as I will later this month, and I find that uh, these uh, mostly... Uh, Midwestern kids from small towns need their photo album updated about the city, about urban America. It seems that their snapshot's about 30 years old. They still see it as a crime-ridden, polluted, uh, poor place. When the reality, I read just this week, the greater loop area of Chicago is so hot, it's adding residents faster than any other urban core in America. One urbanologist writes that in the year 2020, no matter how many condos are built or sold, Chicago is likely to be a nest of center city affluence, unequaled in size or even approached by any place in America. So that's good for you, Darren, building buildings downtown. So part of my job for these students is to update their photo album to 2013, not 1973. Turns out the same thing is true for our spiritual lives. The memories of who we were, of what we've done, and the vision of what we're yet to become can get cloudy. So we need reminders. Today's text is updating our spiritual photo album. It's reminder time. Snapshot number one from our text is zombie nation. Now we've talked about zombies before, but that's a theme in Ephesians. The first couple paragraphs of this section talk about the world outside the church. And it's not a pretty picture. Verse 18 talks about hardened hearts, a calcified, ossified, petrified heart, which leads to a rare statement in our text, having lost all sensitivity. Peterson paraphrases, feeling no pain. Zombie nation doesn't know what it doesn't know. The phrase literally refers to skin that has become callous and thus no longer able to feel pain. Here, it means to lose the capacity to feel embarrassment. It describes a state of affairs that that leads to the loss of self-control. 
And so because of a lack of moral feeling and discernment, there are no restraints on zombie nation out there. There's no bearing. There's no guiding ethic. Nothing is out of bounds. Ever said of someone they're out of control? Peterson paraphrases, addicted to every sort of perversion. It's a vicious cycle because new highs have to be sought to replace the old. Today we call that the law of diminishing returns. And the Apostle Paul knew about that even before Dr. Drew's celebrity rehab. What's the picture outside the community of faith? What's the picture of zombie nation? They're so dominated by sin that shame is lost and decency is forgotten. So much at the mercy of their desires, they don't care whose life they injure, whose innocence they destroy, so long as their desires are fulfilled. Sound familiar? When you take a look at American culture in the year 2013... After the picture of what's out there, Paul turns to the community of faith, in this case, the Ephesian church, and he says something remarkable. After describing, once again, the zombie nation, he says, you, you didn't learn Christ that way. The idea that you learn a person appears nowhere else in the Greek or Hebrew Bible. In Ephesians, the content of the teaching isn't rules or rituals. It's not religious law. It's learning about a person. Learning a person means being shaped by his life. A progression toward becoming like a person, not religious adherence. Verse 21, he says, The truth that is in Jesus... When the disciples were searching for truth, Jesus said, I'm the truth. In this verse, the name Jesus appears by itself for the only time. The historical person is himself the embodiment of truth. The idea in this passage is like putting on new clothes. One of the assignments I give to my students in New York City, in addition to updating their photo album about the city. Um, One afternoon, they have to go down to uh, 5th Avenue and 58th Street and go into Bergdorf Goodman. Now, if you don't know what Bergdorf Goodman is, it's one of the highest-end clothing stores in one of the highest-end locations in the world. And they have to go in and have to try, or at least attempt to try, on $8,000 suits and the ladies' $10,000 dresses. And some of them are humiliated. Some of them can't play the part and literally get kicked out. Others scam it and have a great time, make up stories, and they're trying on clothes worth more than the house they live in, probably. But one thing is clear. Trying on new clothes rarely leaves you unaffected. The picture of putting off and putting on a new garment was in fact widespread in the ancient world. It was used and still is used in certain initiation services in clandestine organizations. And if I told you how I know that, I'd have to kill you. (laughs) But this idea of putting on a new person is without parallel. 
It isn't adhering to new rules. It's putting on a new life. I thought about calling this message, How to Get Rid of Your Old Man. But my wife thought it would send the wrong message. Snapshot number two. An unflattering struggle. This putting on the new person, it's a process. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily renewal. That's why we need reminders. That's why we need to update our spiritual photo album today. This life is a never-ending struggle. We're part of a world in which the powers of God have not yet overcome. And accepting God's gift of grace does not cause the struggle to end. It causes it to begin. The famous line from the Reformation, it remains true. Righteous and a sinner at the same time. What no longer applies is nevertheless still there. And what already applies has not yet fully come. We're citizens of two worlds. Now at times, it's an unflattering picture of me that I must embrace in the process of putting on this new person. It's sort of, sort of like the way I look on my driver's license. You know, I look at that and I think, I know I look better than that. But there it is. That can't be me. The first concrete distinction between the old way of life and the new in this passage is how we talk. Now, you know, why doesn't the Bible just have a list in the back of the book of forbidden words and phrases? It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? Just, just list all the words that we can't say, and then we'll always know where we are uh, at all times. And here's why it doesn't have that list in the back of the book. This new life is not about keeping a list. It's about putting on a new person. A person who was the perfect example of when to boldly confront, usually religious leaders. When to show anger, driving the money changers out of the temple. When to respond compassionately, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. The right time to speak the right word to the right person. The right motivation to work, which in our text says, which is to have something to give when others are in need. Now let me emphasize just one characteristic from this list of things to put off. Anger. Does that make any of you angry? I want to talk about that. Some people have an angry God. And therefore they justify their anger. But the Bible says the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, that does not mean there is not judgment. There is. That does not mean God's wrath does not exist. It does. But it's God's love, not His anger, that's everlasting. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. And so part of this new life, putting on this new person is accepting that not all scores will be settled when I want them to be. And so if you're nursing and rehearsing, rather than disbursing your anger, 
chances are it's self-centered, not righteous anger. And now you know the danger of secondhand smoke, but do you understand the danger of second-day anger? Unfocused and lingering anger is a tantrum, like a child flailing on the floor. And an adult vocabulary doesn't make the tantrum any more acceptable. Anger is bound to happen. But the new person knows there is a limit. And that limit is sunset. So, better, be, better to be angry in June than January if you want to get your money's worth out of anger. Thank you, thank you. And I got an hour less sleep last night. Did I mention that? Snapshot number three. A better you. The last verse of this section holds out the hope for a new you. It's the snapshot you've always wanted taken. And it's based on God's forgiveness of us. How did Christ forgive us? Well, he took the initiative. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He takes the initiative. He didn't wait until we deserved forgiveness, but God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when you put on this person, you forgive the way he forgives. And you pray with sincerity. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Fast forward from first century Ephesus to 21st century America. I don't have to tell you that we live in uncertain times. A complex economy, divided government, difficult job market, unprecedented ethical issues, global insecurities, we could go on and on. And maybe because of that, we can easily allow the snapshot of a better me to be forgotten in the midst of the chaos. So here's the reminder. Regardless of what you're going through, Regardless of the unanswered questions that remain, regardless of the injustices you have endured, you can be kind and compassionate and extend the forgiveness of Jesus. That's a better you. That's the snapshot you've always wanted taken. That's the one you want on your driver's license. The old church hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee, I think, sums up our motivation poetically. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. Now, if my calendar is right, next Sunday is St. Patrick's Day. And and I think it's a shame that most people know St. Patrick only as a day. To start drinking green beer at 10 a.m. Now granted, if you're Irish, that's only 30 minutes early, but still. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know who you are. I wish more people knew the person of St. Patrick. Turns out in the late 4th century AD, a young man named Patrick grew up in northeast England. His people were Britons, one of the Celtic peoples populating the islands. Patrick's folks, however, had gone Roman during the previous centuries of Roman occupation. And although he lived in England, Patrick was culturally Italian, as are all historically significant people. I'm sleep deprived. What do you expect? (laughs) Patrick's first language was the language of Rome, Latin, which was a precursor to Italian. Though he understood some of the Welsh language spoken by the common Celtic people of his land. When Patrick was 16, pirates from Ireland invaded the region captured young Patrick and sold him into slavery in Ireland. And after six years of bondage, Patrick escaped back home to England. Years later, at the age of 48, Patrick believed that he should return to the people of Ireland whom he had grown to love so that he could forgive them as Christ had forgiven him. His mission Take the good news of forgiveness to the Celtic people of Ireland. And so he arrives back in Ireland in A.D. 432. And for his efforts, established religion in Ireland responded by criticizing Patrick savagely. A religious leader's role, they demanded, was to exist in congregations and to care for faithful Christians, they said. On the contrary... Patrick insisted. His mission came from a higher authority and was to those whom the church referred to as pagans and sinners and barbarians. And so this dichotomy put Patrick and church leaders on a collision course. This dichotomy put Patrick and church leaders on a collision course. And so those inspired by Patrick and by the way Jesus who regard venturing out into zombie nation with the everlasting love and forgiveness of Jesus as our main business, are in fact following in the footsteps of Patrick. And so Patrick reminds us, you can be kind and compassionate and forgiving. It's an irony indeed that while the man is honored as a saint today, Patrick's mission is rarely mentioned, honorably or otherwise. So, maybe it's time to update your photo album about March 17. Here's to you, Patrick, whom we call a saint. As my fellow Chicagoans... Honor you with brew and river of green. I'll toast the green tea to you and your mission. 
And I shall drink not to forget, but to remember that it's never too late to be a better me, to put on new clothes of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Thank you.